Welcome back on Relating Listeners. Today we have Jeff Pincus. He's been on the show before, an excellent couples therapy teacher and therapist, and he brings brings some great nuggets, some pieces of wisdom around how to get out of fights and not get into them in the first place, and what needs to be put into place in your relationships so that you don't let your short-term brain uh, undermine your long-term goals for your life. So uh, I can't say enough about Jeff. Uh, I think you'll really appreciate his teaching style. It's very clear and uh, very uh, positive in his approach. So here's Jeff. All right, welcome Jeff Pincus. Thanks for coming on the air today. Sure, good to see you, Ryan. Good to see you. Um, so uh, you, you you introduced yourself last time, but just for those who didn't hear the first uh, episode with you, if you could introduce yourself, um, what you do in the world, and how you got to that, you know, the thumbnail. Sure, sure. So I'm Jeff Pincus, and I, in a nutshell, I help couples love well. That's kind of my mission. Um, personally, one of the most transformative experiences I've had and challenging experiences and therefore transformative was uh, getting married and having that long-term adult committed relationship. And that just revealed a lot to me about uh, places that were sort of maybe unfinished within myself. And so I've spent decades really studying love and relationship and learning how to um, heal, grow, and love, and I help other couples to do that, typically in a three-day intensive format. So the other thing um, that's been interesting is seeing if I can, the, the traditional therapy model is sort of usually an, on, an ongoing process that might take months or years, and I'm really curious about uh, is there a way to make that more efficient and concentrate it so that the arc of healing and growing and getting to the love part could be much faster. So uh, I offer three-day intensives to couples who are committed and want to do that. Awesome. And you're also, uh, you were a, a packed faculty for like a psychobiological approach to couples therapy. Rockland member for yes, a bit. So I, yep. So I, I've been very close with Stan Tacken and, my wife and I were uh, core faculty and trainers, and we also helped uh, refine the teaching curriculum that was used to train therapists. And we trained a lot of couple therapists over the years through the PACT mm -hmm. Institute. So Stan's work is very much sort of has been foundational um, for my work. And then also I sort of evolved my work. Um, one of the things I'm interested in or has informed my own life is Buddhism and uh, and really specifically uh, in neuroscience, the science of perception. So I'm very interested in specifically how the science of perception um, impacts relationship and the experience of love. Mm -hmm. Maybe that'll be a future episode. I mean, it'll probably <laughs> pepper, pepper itself into today. Um, so like I talked about before we got on the call, I really love to um, help folks out there get a sense of what, 
what first of all what is happening in a couple system right in a relationship when uh when things escalate right and things get said and done that are uh just sometimes traumatic and um live on right just um Mm. are very difficult to repair and heal from um no matter you know different no matter what the efforts afterwards and kind of along which you'll probably get into then along with that um what 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 are the repair processes that actually work for some of these really you know i'm just noticing it when some of the couples i work with just hearing you know some of the things that are said that um that understandably uh, you know a partner just can't have a they have a really hard time letting go of yeah so you're so i imagine you're seeing that with the couples you work with that something happened perhaps well in the past but it still has a residue that um they're not able to move forward and move beyond because it keeps getting brought up or it's it's the pain is still um pain is still there right or it could be it could be still kind of happening but it and it and like the phrase that came to my mind when i was kind of reflecting it back to a couple was like a 25 car pileup right it's Mm. just every time another thing gets said that's in a similar tone it just adds to this cachet of really painful uh, memory yeah and i think that's a it's an apt metaphor that you used because uh a 24 car pileup. I mean, that would be something horrific and traumatic, and uh, the experience of it would be one of um, threat to life. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about couples. I'm assuming we're not talking about any kind of physical violence, but we're talking about maybe really sharp, harsh words uh, in the midst of a fight going for the jugular, maybe name calling, uh, really maybe punching, hitting below the belt emotionally and going for the, or going for the jugular, going, I guess you're either hitting below the belt or you're going further up towards the neck and um, going for the jugular. Uh, but either way, the, the exp- you know, I think the first thing for your listeners to understand is that the brain doesn't differentiate much between physical harm and emotional harm. Now, I think there's a, well, there, there are clear, uh, distinct, um, uh, clear, distinct um, implications between physical harm or in physical pain versus emotional pain or emotional harm, right? So, you know, I'm not one that thinks of um, verbiage as necessarily violent. I, I hold a, a very clear line of, say, domestic violence is really about um, physical violence. But emotional, but verbal things can be said that are profoundly emotionally painful that have a similar um that leave a similar residue because the brain doesn't differentiate between say physical harm or, or physical pain and emotional pain or emotional harm. Does that make sense? First off, yes. Just, 
Yeah. Okay. And we're talking about a situation, it sounds like, where a couple tends to escalate to the point where they, where it moves from being a lover's quarrel, where they're clear that we're two people that love each other, and yet I'm really fucking frustrated with you, or I'm really disappointed, or I'm really hurt, and it mo- and yet we still love each other, and we have to figure this out together, that it's moved out of that experience into another one where you have, it's much more like a street fight, where you have two people now at odds with reflexes that are primarily about protecting oneself at any cost. And so it's moved from a lover's quarrel to a street fight. And if you're in a street fight, you want to make sure you win or you're the one that walks out of that dark alley because otherwise uh, terrible harm might come to you, right? That's very different than a lover's quarrel where you want the relationship to continue in a good way then this couple, despite being in the alley, they're going to have to get out of that alley quickly. And if not walking out holding hands, at least recognizing there's no enemy here and that there's some kind of misunderstanding. And and therefore, I'm not going to go for the jugular. I'm not going to hit below the belt. I'm not going to call you that name, even though it came across my mind and I want to say it, but I'm going to pull my punch and we're going to work with the, We're going to work through this in a better way to understand what's really going on because there's some kind of misunderstanding. But we're talking about a couple that's beyond that point And that is now engaged in, in a sense, a, a fight for survival. And now you have two scared animals that, basically are fighting for the emotional death. And unfortunately, it, it's, going to, um, it's going to harm the relationship. And yet at, in that moment, that's not the most compelling thing for them uh, because we have a short-term brain in a long-term life, or in this case, a short-term brain in a long-term relationship. And at this point, the brain just wants to neutralize that which is threatening or to hurt back in the way that we feel hurt. And they're not thinking about the long-term consequences of what they're about to say or their behavior. Right. Yeah. So the maybe obvious question is like, what what does it look like for uh, a couple to get clear about how they are going to fight, how they're going to quarrel? Mm. I mean, this is a starting point to understand their sometimes uh, disadvantageous neurobiology. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, how do they find their way to putting on the brakes to reminding themselves that this is, that this is a, a about this this is about us and not about me. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good question. And um, just reflecting on that for a moment, because I, I don't want to just give an overly simplistic answer. But um, 
for one, just that there's a mutual commitment to have some degree of regulation, some degree, you know, oftentimes, well, we learn best through mistakes. So couples that have been around the block or been in that dark alley together and gotten out and realize, oh, we don't want to do that again. So there does need to be some personal commitment to self-reflection, some personal commitment to be able to watch one's thoughts and emotions and body sensations as they arise, some degree of mindfulness to actually just to be uh, observant of one's experience. So that's one piece. And, and sometimes it's easier to do than other times, of course, as well as a curiosity about what's actually going on for their partner. So there's a commitment to self-reflection and there's a commitment to some curiosity about uh, the state of their partner and that if their partner is in distress or upset or angry or frustrated or sad, that there's an interest in finding out what, what that is actually, why that's there. in a sense, a commitment to compassion, a, co a commitment to being interested in what's painful for our partners, as well as I think a commitment to love and the um, definition of love that I use, which is pretty basic, is just uh, the interest in another's happiness. So if you're interested in your partner's happiness, and you're invested in that, and you're interested in your partner's what's painful and helping out with that, then in the moments when we feel like lashing out, and I don't know about you, but I've certainly been there, we've all been there, can there be at least some degree of self-reflection and being like, oh, okay, wait, I know where this goes and I don't want to go there. And it's certainly more efficient if both couple if both partners have that same commitment to to do better and really yeah yeah you know i know i know some I, I, to be honest i tend not to be one for rules that's my own sort of bias but the idea of rules of engagement like just knowing what you can and can't get away with like what's going to um, cause harm and what's going to maybe just be like a release of, uh, of tension. You know, some couples can, some partners can say, fuck you. And the other partner can handle it. Another couple partner might say that and the partner will feel like, well, that you're being abusive towards me. So, I am not, in a sense, the morality uh, police as much as I think it's for every couple and for every partner to really get honest about what feels okay and what is off limits. And then they have to agree to that. Mm -hmm. And that's a good, that's a good lead in to, um, to think of it, think of it as the, the art of accountability. Um, Cause <laughs> the classic scenario is, Hey, you agreed to not, you know, raise your voice and, you know, and 
Well, you did the other day, like this tit for this um, yes. difficulty to be held accountable, to know how to hold another accountable in a way that's actually relational versus just more um, blame, um, mm -hmm. passing the buck. Um, mm -hmm. That's an excellent point because lately I've been telling my partners actually don't don't hold each other accountable. That's not going to work that well. But if you both hold yourself accountable, um, that works better. I think then if one breaches that agreement, it might still, like in the moment saying, well, you agree to, right, is, is, li is likely going to pour gasoline on the fire. So part of what we're talking about is how to get skillful with conflict, which is not easy. Um, but if the partner again, is, is, is say, feels like they're being yelled at and there was an agreement not to raise voices, a, re a request might have more leverage rather than saying you agree to, because that could be a power play as opposed to, hey, could you just please lower your voice? And I, I, I want to hear what you're saying, but can you bring it down a little bit? That probably will go better than just uh, the tit for tat that you just described, which is, again, so human to do. Right. You know, and, and as I've been seeing it, it, it's, it seems like that there's a, an, um, a real necessity or function in one, at least one, per, one person taking, taking uh, the role or position of leadership in terms of moving, moving the moment towards dialogue, right. Through a, a clear stance of uh, we're doing that thing again, mm. right? It seems like we're doing that thing where we just don't hear each other. Can we slow down? Mm -hmm. I think I think it'd be a good moment just for us to slow down here. Some 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 presence of mind, right? To like change the the story of what's happening because it seems like right these uh, couples get into the story like you're describing that they just have to fend for themselves. And the louder they get, the, the more adamant they get, the more likely they will survive. Like that's the story they're living in. And so it seems like to have one person kind of come in and a little bit, it's almost like a little parental too. Like let's, let's do something different here, guys. I, you know, I mean, almost like you're talking to the children that are quarreling, or, you know, fighting in the moment. I know yeah. you both have a lot to say and you both really, really want to get hurt, yeah. but. Yeah, I think you're, it, you, you, you're an IF, you're also an IFS therapist, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I was like, oh, cool. That, that, that's good. I, and I could see like, oh, your IFS is showing, right? So you're in a sense, there's that, um, that wiser self that's able to sort of corral, you know, the, the, the other parts that of us or of the couple that might be running amok a bit. So, um, yeah. And whoever can must, right. I, I think it's a role that both partners have to play. And oftentimes, um, partners have to move against their own instinct, which oftentimes, uh, has this idea that relationship is inher inherently unfair, 
right? That's the sort of the residue from the deep past that many of us have. That relationship is inherently unfair, unfair. And so your listeners might even feel like, well, why do I have to be the one? Well, you're the one because you can. So whoever can must sort of bring um, bring the two of you back to a place where something can be worked out in a good fashion, in a satisfactory, satisfactory fashion without um, the damage that will be caused if no one's corralling anything, you know, if it, again, if it, if it's digressed to the point where it's a street fight, uh, both of you are going to get hurt. So whoever can be the sort of the bigger person, the more mature person, do it, not in a pedantic way, but in a clear, loving way. Remind your partner, hey, hey, wait, 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 let's bring it down. Right. Isn't that the art, right? No, like paternalistic maybe too, right? Like, you know, not, 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 t- not being this, not taking it as this opportunity to be the, the bigger one, the, the more evolved, you know, right. member, right? Which doesn't ever land well. Obviously. Right, because we, we can weaponize anything. Like even it, it, we could take any medicine and turn it into poison. Because you know, and, yeah. and if you're honest with yourself, like you, you know, there can be a holier than now or self righteous. But if you're really coming from that that grounded place of oh shit, I know that where this goes, and I want to work this out with you, and we love each other. Remember, let's let's bring it down. Just if you could talk a little bit more about the um, the the difficulty of having this kind of short-term brain in a, in a long-term life. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Short-term brain in a long-term life. So culture evolves quickly. Biology doesn't. So we're still mostly wired for procreation and survival. Um, this is why even, you know, you're a dad. Um, it's easier to take care of your child, right? Your, your kid gets is sick. It's 3 a.m. You don't feel like getting out of bed and cleaning up the vomit, but you do. There's, a, in, there's an innate motivation to do that that seems to be hardwired in, into our genetics because otherwise none of us would have been here because we would have been somewhere along the line. People were too difficult and parents probably would have been like, you know, I don't, I'm not really into this anymore. And we all would have died. But instead you get your butt out of bed, 3 a.m., clean, clean the vomit, uh, clean the sheets, put your child back to bed um, so that our offspring have a, the best chance of survival. We also don't always feel like going to work every day, but we do because you have to buy food and keep a roof over your head. So you do that as well. And, um, and I think there's also an, an endogenous motivation for that because that also has to do with basic survival needs. Long-term relationship uh, of two people, I'm assuming uh, at this point in our conversation, but two people um, that are good friends and sexually attracted to each other and mates and raising children and managing money in a home 
uh, and our companions throughout the different stages of life, that's a very new construct that probably it's well less than 100 years old. I think it's a really cool concept, you know, construct myself, but it's really challenging because oftentimes when need be, there isn't the reflex to do the loving thing in the moment. Um, and instead, what trumps that is safety and security needs. So people end up protecting themselves at the cost of the relationship. Though just to be clear, you can't protect the relationship at the cost to the self either. So we're dealing with a very complex equation of how do you protect yourself in a way that's good for the relationship? And how do you, how do you care for the relationship that's in a way that's ultimately good for the self? But that might not feel good short term. So to go back to what you just suggested some of your listeners do of, of if you can kind of take the higher ground without being self-righteous and, and help regulate the situation in the moment, um, that isn't necessarily reflexive or instinctual in the same way as defending oneself or counterattacking or, um, you know, even just trying to justify or explain one's behavior. Those are all sort of prote either protection of, really protection of oneself. So you can see the conundrum when there's conflict, and conflict is inevitable when you have two people that have two brains, two histories, two different sets of perceptions, that some kind of disagreement or misunderstanding isn't far away. And when that arises, how to keep that from moving into a state of where it does feel like physical survival is um, at stake. And so you can see what, what's hard is to be able to do the loving thing in the midst of battle, in the midst of feeling threatened, in the midst of feeling dismissed or disappointed or whatever the, the pain point is to still be able to um, have the longer view of, hey, I want this relationship to continue and I want it to go well. I can't just lash out and I can't just defend myself. There's got to be a third way, a, a different way that where we can get closer to the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you say that, I mean, I, I, as I see it for myself and many folks, uh, that third way sometimes isn't right to like some leadership move. It, although it is, I see it as I think of it, it is a leadership move. Um, it, it can be to simply actually state one's feeling. Yeah, say more. Right, like actual little real time, like wow, I'm feeling like really scared and I just almost want to like leave the room right now because this is, this is a lot. I'm hearing blame and I'm about to really go in on the defensive. I don't know what to, I don't want to do that, but I don't know what to do. I think that, that's beautiful. Brian. Exactly. That, that was like, great. That, the period is really key. 
because you know, there's like only so much that another can hear in a moment like that, right? They have like bandwidth for about like 75 words, it seems like, before they start to hear defensiveness or attack. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And that was, that was a perfect example. I mean, you're, you're demonstrating um, vulnerability. And I think vulnerability oftentimes is misunderstood. Like it's some kind of magic idea. Just be vulnerable. But no one talks about like, what's the why? But the power of vulnerability is you're, you're describing being so honest and accurate about your experience and owning your experience um, rather than overly focusing on your partner's behavior, which is oftentimes naturally going to um, create a pushback. Uh, so when you talk about your own experience, the way you just did, your, your experience is ir irrefutable. Um, but if you talk about your partner's behavior about what they're doing to make you feel that way, then again, there's there's room for more debate. So what you just rep, you know demonstrated is something a move I think that can be very disarming, right? Hopefully, right? And you know, and I'm always still astounded sometimes how you know a, a, another might then say, "Well, we'll pick the thing." didn't say anything, I wasn't blaming you. Um, so it's like this, you know, yeah. Hopefully they take that all the branch and, you know, yeah. offer theirs, right? But um, Cause love yeah. happens in that, and love happens in that, in that vulnerable hurt place. I think that's really the opportunity to actually demonstrate and feel loved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, um, I think, you know, we got a little time and I wanted to ask you, um, just kind of asking the different folks out there in the, in the helping progressions, like what, uh, what they're, what they've learned through the pandemic, you know, any takeaways at this point about human nature, human relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, been a profound planetary experiment, hasn't it? And to see what people do under threat, and both what's possible and then and but what's likely, and um, uh, this is a big topic, right? Um, I think one thing that we saw and one thing that was confirmed by me is just scared people do weird shit. And I think about when the pandemic first hit of just how many people were stockpiling toilet paper, toilet paper and ammunition as if bullets and toilet paper are going to be really the thing that you need for a global, global, uh, spreading virus. Um, and yet I'm not faulting them as much as just, I think it, it demonstrated just how sort of, um, how much fear 
motivates people to come up with a solution that might not really be the solution and can cause more problems themselves. And so rather than people really cooperating and being more and more honest and transparent, and we're talking about not just people, but uh, human systems. So communities, states, countries, regions, you know, just even how, how information was or wasn't shared. And then I'll come back to the, the couple, but wasn't shared between countries, right? So there was a great mistrust and polarization that occurred, um, dishonesty uh, at times. Um, and so, and then I think it even set in motion all kinds of uh, you know, political repercussions that we're experiencing now. And then back on a, on a small system level, seeing couples now that for the most part, they relied on each other in their lives, but, but with the amount of stress that most couples were going through and the, the isolation and again, the fear and the financial insecurity that it exposed perhaps whatever uh, fissures were in the foundation of their relationship so that there, I did see a lot more um, conflict and intensity and questioning of the relationship for some couples. It exposed those fault lines. On the other hand, it also, I saw couples who were really coming together, were really committing to um, working together. And even though they were under so much stress, especially when there were children and the kids weren't going to school and they were uh, both parents worked, but now one of them had to also do at-home schooling and, and all of that. And yet some really rallied and were resourceful and did a good job in relying on each other and on um, valuing the connection that they did have. Um, and, and that got amplified also, just the preciousness of uh, relationship and, and acting on that, right? Going back to the short-term and long-term, the reality is we're all gonna die and we don't know when that is. And it's interesting, you know, if your partner was diagnosed tomorrow with terminal cancer, I know I, we, we, we would all of a sudden feel how precious this relationship is and we'd want to be the best that we could be and want to spend so much time and, and just really be loving, loving well, as I say, um, and prioritizing that. And yet, because we don't really, because we're so short-term focused, we forget the reality of that, um, of mortality and impermanence, and we could take things for granted. And we, um, and so, you know, to, to go back to COVID, I think we were all touched by a lot of loss. So the, 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 the people that allowed themselves to feel that and partners allowed themselves to feel the preciousness of this life and this relationship and this love were really able to deepen their connection and bonds and their 
enjoyment of um, a shared life. Right. Yeah. It's a beautiful way to see the, um, I don't know, I guess the, the choice, the choice point or the, I guess like any, any stressor, um, it, it asks, it asks one to become, um, clearer about what their, um, what their priorities are. And, uh, this certainly did that, like, or, or how do they want to move with the stress, right? Mm -hmm. Um, do they want to learn to be better collaborators and, and interdependent organisms, or do they want to go into a shell with, and, and kind of survive it? Mm -hmm. Right, which again is speaking to, to either you're going to hunker down and just try and live another day, or how do we how do we have the given how things are, whatever state of uh, whatever the state of um, the world or one's life is, you know, how can we still have the best life possible given our situation? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I just find myself wanting to like it's uh, a lot easier said than done. And there's, there's so much cultural conditioning at play, you know, as we say that here, you know, in a very privileged position, you know, like um, that there's so much conditioning that says it's not safe to reach out or to, you know, I, or sometimes such a lack of, of, um, you know, training to be able to be um, really able to feel like you can depend on others or reach out and that it's safe to do so and that gets brought to the foray mm -hmm. yeah um i wanted to actually i was thinking it'd be a good kind of gift to the folks out there to just that, that they can take away the the kind of for lack of better words the, the kind of formula for mm -hmm. or how to de-escalate and how to repair um, just so that mm -hmm. they can kind of lead this conversation with that in, in their, in their minds. And, um, so I, I was going to just feed it back to you and see if you, you know, if you want to, sure. um, um, add anything. So, um, first is actually just having, um, developing, a, a mutual commitment to, to restraint, to keeping things, in the arena or the, the scope of a, of a lover's quarrel versus mm -hmm. like street fight. Yes. First thing, like having that be like, this is what we commit to. This is the culture we want to create. Okay. Secondly, um, this is on, ongoing, but developing um, an, a personal commitment to, to self-reflection, to, to actually watching yourself and watching the parts of you, if you want to think of it that way, that want to just say what they want to say or feel the right to do whatever they want to do because the other did that. And that's living in that kind of mode and having the reflect the, the, um, the awareness of how that operates in you so that you don't let it just, so that it doesn't take over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think that even just just that um, 
would go a long way with that first part having some clear sense of where the line is you know what is crossing the line again there because it, it's different for every couple so coming up with some um, agreements around you know what what's too painful right like what's what crosses the line where you know your partner says or does that says that thing and then all bets are off and you it's a street fight and you're both now gonna uh escalate and there's going to be uh, a real negative there's going to be harm done both to self and relationship so just having a conversation probably when you're both emotionally sober not in the heat of battle but emotionally sober maybe debriefing after last your last argument after when you're both calm, like, well, how was that when I said that, 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 well, I didn't like it, but you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a gut punch. So we're just avoiding gut punches. It's okay to spar. It's natural to spar because there are things that are worth fighting for and you both need to know what's important to the other one and yourself. So you actually could get underneath. This might be another conversation for future podcasts, but, um, to get underneath what each partner is actually fighting for, because that's important to know. But we're just talking about the um, sort of the components of once a fight is happening. So, so yeah, those two points. And, and I'm sorry, did you want to say something else? I know you wanted me to, to cover like really oh, well, what, there, what's, what repair, but go ahead. Yeah, there was the third um that you that you said so eloquently that the the importance of have, having an orientation of curiosity and mm. compassion for your partner like mm. stepping back and asking yourself like what are they what are they so frustrated about like i mean you're kind of getting at that and that what what's underneath um but that that curiosity and, and compassion can't be overstated mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that there's a, a, a joint commitment to each other's happiness. I mean, that really is what love is. You're invested in the other one's happiness. Um, can I speak to, though, then once, if, if that doesn't happen, perhaps how, right. in, a nut, in a nutshell, how do you repair the mess that was made? Yes, that would be great, right? Yeah, like to put it to, put it to bed, to, to, to let it let it go so it's not continually um echoing in 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 the hearts of of, of, the, of the of the folks yeah yeah so first off just uh speed matters so if you're going to repair something sooner is better than later um and realize that it's in your interest to repair as quickly as possible, even though you might not feel like it. Here, again, you're going to bump up against your own reflex that might say something like, well, why do I have to repair when you said X, Y, and Z? But again, your leverage, your power is in dealing with your own behavior. So sooner is better because you want to keep it out of long-term memory because at the beginning of our conversation Ryan was talking about basically couples that have at times been traumatized by their fighting. And now every fight is another uh, car that's 
that's in that pileup. And that pileup is, is like this smoking rubble and it continues to smolder and uh, get in the way of, of traffic that makes an accident more likely to happen again and again. So we're wanting to clear memory out as quickly as possible. So my wife, Rachel, actually came up with a good uh, formula, a good acronym, and she talks about putting the air in repair. And so A stands for acknowledge. You just acknowledge your behavior. You know, I know I raised my voice and I said I wouldn't do that. Just as simple as that. Okay, if, if that's the, the, the thing, to use your example about voice raising earlier. So acknowledge your behavior. I is you speak to the emotional impact. What's the impact on your partner with this behavior? So I know when I raise my voice, you, it feels belittling and you feel, you know, you feel small, you feel hurt, uh, you feel like I'm talking down to you. So you speak to the emotional impact. Um, it's, it frightens you sometimes. Uh, so this is where empathy, and even if you're not feeling the emotional empathy, but to, to be able to use strategic empathy, meaning that you understand your partner well enough to know why that particular behavior under A hurts, why it's problematic for the other. So you speak to the emotional impact. It might just be a few sentences, but you have to you have to be accurate. You can't say it's one thing and if it's not that thing, you know, if, if your partner isn't nodding your head or uh, saying, yeah, that's it, then you're going to need to try again and, and, and hit the bullseye in this one and find what is the pain point with specificity about the impact. And then just express regret, you know, sincerely say, I'm so sorry. And then, so that's the air. And then I think it's helpful to put a P on it, even though the acronym isn't as good then with air, it doesn't, but the P is for plan. So make a plan or a commitment like, okay, next time when I, when I get angry, I'm, I'm going to watch my tone of voice with you or watch the volume of my voice. So you're just committing to doing it better in the future, knowing you're not going to do it perfectly. Again, this is learning, and we learn through mistakes. Um, but that you don't let yourself off the hook either. You, even in the heat of battle when you don't feel like it, you return to your commitment because it's your, in your own interest to keep this fight out of the, the dark alley and out of, out of the street and get back to this just being a lover's quarrel of two people that like each other and love each other that are, misper that are perceiving reality differently and are having some kind of misunderstanding. So getting back to that as quickly as possible. So you commit to doing better in the future and continuing to, to grow. That's awesome. Yeah. So again, yeah, just to recap that. So that's um, like A, acknowledge your behavior. I uh, understand the, the impact that you're having on your partner, why this hurts them, you know, their pain point, and R, ex express regret uh, around having, having had that impact. 
and then um, stands for extra credit through um, bring in a commitment to um, changing that behavior uh, in the future um, these are always really helpful because um, it's it's hard to get re reoriented you know in, in, a, in such an emotional um, complex experience like being in a relationship to have something like okay what can I do right mm -hmm. and to counter the tendency to just really be focusing on like what they're doing or not doing uh, this is what you can do and that's under your control you could acknowledge your behavior the impact in your partner and express some regret like you, yeah. you that is always a choice always an option yeah as exactly. hard as it may be to, to dig in there and kind of yeah put aside that part of you that really wants to let him have it yeah and at first it won't feel good because it feels like you're going to lose but um but once you start to practice this, once you start to hold yourself accountable and realize, okay, I, okay, I, wait, shit, I'm sorry, I said that. Let me. Um, it's actually quite empowering because you start to realize, you start to see that your leverage in the relationship moves from your own behavior, and that's actually quite empowering. So you're going from first the reflexive impulse. Uh, short-term brain that doesn't give a shit about long-term relationship and just wants to feel safe and live another day. So you're moving from that place to holding the long-term goal in mind of a better relationship and a better interaction, a better outcome for the situation. And when you modify your own behavior, you see, wow, I, I can actually influence um, how these fights go. And that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's um it's it's a bigger win it's the, the true win yeah yeah well this is great i mean i i think these are these are these are some really great tools or um sort of uh reframes um for for folks out there um yeah i really appreciate it jeff yeah great teacher Oh, thanks, Ryan. It's a pleasure to have these conversations with you. Yeah. Um, so you're offering various stuff, and people can sign up for your newsletter, which is, is I noticed, is starting to get regular, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm committing to try and um, support love out there, not just uh, for one couple at a time in my office, but just to hopefully share some helpful ideas. So um, I'm sending something out at this point, just every other week it might just be a really short video or some writing thing or this podcast. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's Boulder couples therapy. People can find you at Jeff Pincus, but I'll, I'll put it in the show. Yeah. Next. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great Jeff. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thank you. All right, that was Jeff Pincus. I uh, hope you found that really helpful. And uh, don't forget to uh, find me on Instagram and on Facebook and connect. Uh, give your thoughts, questions. I uh, really appreciate all of that so, as, so I can know what to cover more of and uh, improve my offering to you all. All right, hope you're doing well out there. Until next time.